I got kind of my first corporate job around 20 years old. And yeah, I mean, in five years, I was only making like 50 grand a year, you know, and I did more than that my first year flipping houses. So like it is long as you think to replace your income if you really do focus, focus, focus. This is game-changing information guaranteed to raise your real estate wholesaling business with actionable steps you can take immediately to navigate the ins and outs of wholesaling and start making money today. Join us as we put our guests in the hot seat and dive deep to dissect their strategies for success to enable you to duplicate their results. You're listening to Wholesaling Inc., the only show dedicated to making you a fortune in wholesaling. You're listening to the Wholesaling Inc. podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Hardy. And today I'm excited because we've got two virtual investors on the show, yours truly, myself, and my good friend and virtual real estate investor, Greg Helbeck. Greg from San Diego, welcome to the show. How are you? It's nice to be on the show again. It was a lot of fun when we did the first one a couple of years ago, so I'm excited to be back. I know. So you guys, Greg has actually been on the show. So if you want to learn more about Greg, make sure you look up his show. We'll put that in the show notes. The last time we talked, we talked all about, we called it elephant hunting versus squirrel hunting. And it was like a whole debate as to like, which model is better. You know, the wholesaling in the lower price markets where, you know, your assignment fees are maybe 10K or even less, but there's more of them. It's more of a volume game versus your model which is more elephant hunting. You're going for the big checks, but they're a little bit less frequent. So that was a really, really fun episode. It's funny you say that. A lot has changed since that episode. So I'm really excited to let you know what we've been up to. It's been fun. Okay. Okay. So first things first, for those who do not know, you have never, you know, heard the first episode. Greg, tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got started in real estate investing. Sure. All that. So I got started when I was 20 years old in 2015. So it's kind of funny. Like that was kind of a long time ago, like almost 10 years ago. I was in college. I had literally no money, like $2,000 in the bank from like working, you know, as a lifeguard. Got into the business and I just went absolutely crazy and started, you know, putting out signs and love writing letters. And I was so determined to make this successful. Took me like a year to really get some reasonable traction and started, you know, every few months doing deals. And then, you know, that went on for another like six months after that. So about 18 months into the business, I was consistently making some reasonable money. And then I actually started to go virtual in 2018 when I was living in New York at the time. And we started buying properties in Dallas, Texas. I was JVing with someone. And once we kind of cracked the code on like cold calling and going after vacant houses, like the business blew up. We started doing three, four, five, six houses a month. I was never seeing them. It took a couple of years. Like this didn't have really three years. Like it just didn't happen overnight. But a lot of the skills and the habits that I was doing for years compounded and I started to gain some momentum and built a reasonably sized business over the last you know, really like two, three years. I used to really go after like I was a solo operator with an assistant and I was going after these like these big deals and I still do those. But uh, actually, as of the last really like nine months, I've hired like a full-time acquisition person. I still have a full-time assistant. And, you know, we're doing a lot more volume now and we're keeping our profits. Like they're still like our average profits, like 30 grand, but I have more overhead now. And, you know, now we got to do, you know, five, six, seven deals a month to really stay relevant. And then over the course of that time, I've done a lot of rehabs. I've done wholesales. I have rental portfolio. So that's kind of like my story in a nutshell. So I've been doing this full time since I ever got started in like a career. Like this is the only thing I've ever done. The only thing I've ever known. So it's pretty funny. I'm like a, you know, like an old man in real estate age, but not really. <laughs> I'm still kind of. Yeah. Old. Yeah. No, I kind of am similar too. So you started, how old are you now? 27. 27. And you started when you were, what 20. was it? 
20 years old. Okay. So yeah. you've been in it since you were, yeah. yeah, this is like all you ever have known. All I've ever known. I have no idea what else yeah. is going on in the world. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? You are incredibly successful, you know, right now, but I do like that you stop and let us all know, you know, that, Hey, like it was not overnight. So like yeah. you're, it really took you, it sounds like you took about a year and a half just to kind of start getting regular deal flow and traction. It took me nine months to get my first deal, like of literally working like a pack mule every single day. And then after that, wow. it was like very like sporadically, like I had no idea, like marketing and systems It had like, that was over my head. So it took me like Right. Really about 18 months to get some reasonable consistency. And then like another right. year and a half after that to actually be doing like, you know, deals every single month, predictably, like having a pipeline yeah. in my numbers. So like I said this to someone the other day, like it takes time, but not as much time as you think. You know what I mean? Like it's all like relative, like three to five years to start making good money is pretty good compared to, you know, 25, 30 years to retire with a pension. So it's like it takes time, but not as much as you think. And if you do the right work every single day. And, you know, you were smarter than I was because I did a lot of stupid stuff. You know, you'll yeah. do it a lot faster than I did. Like, I am not a genius at all. And I've done things the wrong way for a long time, right? Like doing stupid right. stuff. So. Right. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, I love that you give this perspective and it took you nine months to get your first deal because I know when I first got started that I would listen to these podcasts and it seemed to always be that the person being interviewed, like, got their first deal in five minutes and then... Like, you know, six months later, yeah. they were like closing 10 deals a month and making 200 grand, you know, a month. Right. And, and it was like, why is that not happening for me? Well, that's because it's either like, it's just not realistic. Like, no. yeah, I'm glad that you're realistic, you know, but I totally agree with you too. I worked the corporate world for gosh, maybe five years. I got into this business at 25 years old. So like I got kind of my first like internship corporate job around 20 years old. And yeah, I mean, in five years, I was only making like 50 grand a year, you know, yeah. and I did more than that my first year flipping houses. So yeah. like it is long as you think to replace your income if you really do focus, focus, focus. So Got that's focus. cool. So why did you go virtual? Yeah, great question. So honestly, the answer is kind of complicated, but I'll try to make it as straightforward as possible. That's what we do up in the Northeast. I'm from New York, so everyone's very direct. So I was living in New York, still in college. Yeah, I didn't really like, still living with my parents, honestly. Like this was a while ago. And I was running into all these attorney problems and I really didn't have a lot of money. Like I had maybe like, I don't know, like 15, 20 grand in the bank, like nothing crazy. And like, I didn't have any freedom. And I was like, the deals in New York were taking so long to close. And we had to put right. these big deposits down. And like, we kept running into attorney problems and I didn't really have that much experience. So I kept like coming up with an excuse, like, oh my God, if I wasn't in New York, this would be like so much easier. And I kept telling myself that story. And then one day I woke up in 2018, actually the first day of the year, well, the second day of the year, I was hung over the first day of the year, but I was just being honest with you. I was like, I'm going to go into Texas and I'm going to actually do this and I'm going to see if it's easier here. And if wow. it's easier here, I've justified my excuse. And if it's not easier here, I need to shut up and figure it out. So I started marketing yeah. in Texas and it took like, you know, probably six, seven weeks to get like some real leads. And we started locking deals up over the phone via DocuSign. This was like kind of before virtual was that sexy. This is like 2018. Like people were doing it, but it wasn't like, you know, like as common as it is now. So I was kind of like figuring a lot of stuff out on my own. There wasn't a lot of models. And we started locking up deals and I was partner with someone. So I was never seeing these houses and like sellers were signing. There was no attorneys. There was like small deposits. And it was like, almost like it was so easy compared to where I was in New York. I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is crazy. I remember the first deal I got a wire in my account for like, I think it was 15 grand or something. And I was like, holy smokes, like this is insane. Like I just never saw this house. I did this deal. Mm -hmm. 
There was no attorney. Like, what the heck's going on? And then we just started just blowing it up. So that's honestly how I went virtual is because my market in New York was so ridiculous. And that's why I still do a lot of business there now in a different scenario now, like with the experience right. and our business operation. But yeah, I honestly had to go virtual to like really make my main area like really successful because I needed that capital and that experience and all those like, you know, swings at the plate to really build a solid foundation for myself to grow the business back in the Northeast. Right. That makes so much sense. So essentially it was, I think New York has a huge barrier oh, to entry so it, up there. for you guys. Yeah. For you guys that don't know, you know, maybe you've never operated in New York, but you have to have a very high EMD and it has to be like your cash or, yeah. you know, whoever's buying it's cash. Right. And the EMD yeah. amount is like a lot. It's not just like a thousand dollars. It's like what, like 10 grand, 15 it, grand. It, yeah, it depends. Like if you can negotiate it, but I mean, there's deals where so I got to go in hard 10 grand, like non-refundable. And like, I just walked from a fix and flip and I went hard, like about four grand with like soft costs. And wow. like, you can't get that back. Like it's the big leagues up there. So you gotta. It's the big you know, leagues. Yeah. You yeah, have to be willing to lose your EMD, you know? Every yeah. Time. Yeah. Every and time. that's not for a, for a newbie. It's not, it's not for a newbie, you know. They all come to me and we JV together. We've had a lot of success doing that. New investors yeah. come to me. I got the capital and the experience and we, mm -hmm. we make them a lot of money, you know. In that and market. you know how to navigate, you know, the attorneys and, you know, like a newbie, you might be able to negotiate that EMD down a little bit, whereas a newbie would go in and just hear, oh, I have to put 10K down and just assume that and that was just, it. Yeah. And, yeah. Especially yeah. like where I live is like the sat, like New York city suburbs, Long Island, Hudson Valley. Like it's extremely expensive there. Like houses are five, six, seven, eight hundred grand. Long Island's the same thing. New York city and New Jersey. It's, it's all like, it's called the tri-state area. That's a, one of the most expensive markets. It's kind of like Southern California, like upstate New York is a little different if you're in Albany and Buffalo, but that's basically mm -hmm. the Midwest. At least that's, I call it the Midwest because it's nothing like the New York city suburbs. Yeah. It's very expensive. <laughs> do you still live in San Diego? I do. I'm in my house you right now. You moved back, right? Okay, I yeah, because I know you would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You went back for a second, then you're back. And that's what yeah. cracks me up. I still quote you all the time <laughs> where you say, because those who are listening and you're from Southern California, arguably, I think one of the hardest markets to wholesale in the country. It's tough. And I, re and I remember you saying, and it's only for one reason. I mean, there's a couple of reasons, but like the main reason is that people in California are very aware of the value of their home. Very, very smart. We see this every day. We do marketing in San Diego and it's pretty funny. Like it is, it's a culture thing in California to go, well, I got a house here. I own a yeah. house here in California and they know how much it's worth. We follow our house prices in California. Like it's yeah. a very common thing. Like you, even if you're not thinking of selling, like, you know, how much equity you have in your home. A lot of people borrow against their equity. Oh, all the time. I see it. A lot of people borrow against their equity and yeah. they literally retire off their home. You know, because literally, literally retired. And, they well, my, yeah, where we live in the Bay Area, you could be a multimillionaire because you bought a house in 78 in San Jose and now you're, you know, living on 5% mm -hmm. interest and you're set. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. So I, that cracks me up. I always use that saying. I quote you all the time on that. It was it's hilarious. Okay. So I am always fascinated. I watch you on social media. And just recently, you started posting deals in like Wilmington, Delaware, yeah. where yeah. 
me being virtual, when I go, say, like on vacation, or it happened yeah. to be that last year I had a wedding, I had three weddings in like one week that were all on the East Coast, funny enough. Yeah. So we went from like Philly to like, it was crazy. Yeah. So one of the stops was Wilmington, Delaware. And I remember looking around and when you're virtual, you've got this virtual mindset. Like you always think like, could I flip houses here? Like, could I wholesale houses here? Like, would this yeah. be a good rental market? You know, and it's an yeah. actual possibility. Like, and you're there. Yeah. And you're there and you're like, you know, this would be cool. So I remember going to Wilmington going, I bet there's no competition here. I bet there's like no one here that does yeah. direct to seller marketing. And I bet this would be a pretty easy market to really dominate, you know, but then I'm like, oh, the last thing I need is another market. You know, I don't yeah. need the distraction, but I saw that you started posting yeah. that you were doing some deals there. How'd that yeah. come about? I'll tell you how that happened. Very simple. So my acquisitions manager is one of my good friends from high school. We actually went to community college together. And he was working for another investor and, you know, they worked for a while and we went pretty well. And then he wanted to, you know, work for someone else. Anyway, we had a conversation and we decided that it would make sense for him to join the team. And really, I saw a lot of value in what he can provide. And I knew that I had a good opportunity after really thinking, I didn't just hire this guy on a second. I really processed it out, brought him on board. And I was like, bro, like we're just virtual. I mean, I hate appointments. I'll go on them if I have to out here. Like, you know, it is what it is. But for the most yeah. part, we're doing 95% of it virtual. So, you know, he started doing deals virtually, like from his house in Monroe, which is where we're both from. And then he said, I'm going to move to Delaware. You know, his girlfriend lives in Delaware. And like, he was going back a lot. And like, so I'm like, like he told me we sat down for a steak dinner over Christmas. He's like, hey, my goal is to move to Delaware. And I was happy as a clam for him. And I said, how can yeah. I make that reality for you? So we like mapped out a road plan. Like, where does he need to be at? You know, blah, 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 blah. So anyway, he moved to Delaware and it didn't really matter because we're virtual anyway. And we were both like, well, you know, we can do, we're doing deals in New York and Cali, like either way, like that's just regardless, right? But like, if you're living in Delaware now and there's no... You need an attorney, but it's just to close. You don't need an attorney like in New York with all the bullshit. But uh, I'm like, why don't we just, you know, shuffle around and, and dig for some deals here? So we turned on some internet marketing, turned on some direct mail, turned on a little texting, like nothing like we didn't go like hog wild crazy. And we started getting like leads coming in. And I was like, whoa, like this is crazy, man. These people down here are like, you know, it's definitely so kind of competitive in North Delaware, but it's not like San Diego or New York. It's not like people there are a little slower and friendlier to say the least. So for sure, I just closed on a fix and flip, which that one's probably not going to be the greatest deal. We can get into that later. Maybe another flip we have in escrow. We have like four accepted offers on like a bunch of deals that we got the last like week or two. And we did an assignment like on the worst street in Wilmington, like dangerous area. So we pumped out a decent amount of deals so far there really in the last like two months. And we're starting to learn that area now, like really like the ins and the outs of that law. So like, because he moved there, I'm like, well, because we renovate and we have rent, like we do all the other things. So I'm like, well, if your boots on the ground, like he's getting his license, like it's a logical thing to like really number one, provide a massive, massive income for him. And then also like, why not just do what we're doing now? Like we're still buying over the phone. Our process is via the phone. So if we're negotiating with someone in Delaware or if we're negotiating with someone in San Diego, it's over the phone anyway, so it doesn't really matter. And then the infrastructure and the systems, it's easier to close in Delaware now because I know he's there. He's got boots on the ground. He watches the contractors. You know, he, that's the reason I did it. I didn't just like drop Wilmington on a map. I have a good friend, ironically, who's in San Diego with me and he found out uh, Mr. Helbeck was coming to Delaware and he was like, oh shit. He's like, oh, we're going to compete. I'm like, no, we're not going to compete. Like, just sell me your deals, bro. And we did our first wholesale deal. He gave me one of his buyers and I gave him a cut of the deal. So like jumped in there, we already made some money together. So that's really how we got into that market. And I'm learning the hard way. You know, there's 4% transfer tax in Delaware, which is disgusting. There's some, some other crap there that I don't like, but you know, it all in all, it's a good area and I'm starting to know it, you know, better every day. 
Yeah. You know, going into a new market, you know, do not underestimate how hard it is. Like, funny, I bought a deal and I did not know the transfer tax was 5%. I was like, what is this? Probably Pennsylvania. <laughs> Probably Pennsylvania, right? Yes. Yeah. I buy in Pennsylvania. We do deals in Pennsylvania too. It's insane. Dude, I was like, what is this? Like, oh my gosh. Yes. Like, it was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And you learn by like, making these mistakes you know you learn by yeah. buying it and, and then going oh man like i can't find a contractor here you know like i don't even get started with that oh my god i'll go yeah. or, you know foaming at the mouth going through that we, right now yeah <laughs> yes no joke we started buying in pennsylvania i bought this crazy fixer that was like a lot of work a lot of a big job like a 200k reno oh. and I, which the numbers were beautiful. It doesn't yeah, 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 yeah. Like, but the rehab scared me, you know, even though I still they, do Yeah, it. the numbers were beautiful. It was a duplex in a very like trendy up and coming area, you know, near Whole Foods. Like Got it's it. a little hot spot. Yeah. And reconverting it back to single family. It was a single family home originally. They converted it to a duplex, you know, so a kind of a janky yeah. looking duplex. I'm reconverting it back to a single family and just making it, you know, like real nice, you know, yeah. an upper scale rehab. So we bought it for 180. We are trying to keep rehab under 200K, ideally 185. And we think the market doesn't shift. We think it should close for about 599. Um, maybe Ooh, home, run. home run, like six figure flip. Awesome. As long as the market doesn't shift, which yeah. I, we're going to get into that. So I'm thinking, oh, this is great. And I'll find a contractor. I'm good. I can do this. No big deal. We'll find a contractor. You know, my realtor had some recommendations. Yeah. We close on it. Two months go by. Cannot oh. find a contractor. Like talk to 65 people. I mean, we even had someone or like our boots on ground go drive around and take photos of every single work truck they can find. We called like everyone you could think of could not find a contractor for the life of us. I now have my boyfriend handle project management for me because I cannot be spread so thin. And if I'm handling project management, it won't get done. That house will sit. So Drew is, you know, he's got that construction background. He knows how to speak the language. Like he knows pricing really well. Yeah. So he went off to work on this. And literally for two months, this house sat, could not find a contractor. So then we just said, you know what? I think we're just going to have to sub it out ourselves and do it ourselves. Like we have to GC it from a oh. So we started demo. The first demo guy ripped me off, didn't finish the job, had my credit card number because the first installment I made, I made the mistake. It was a credit card payment. Yeah. yeah. Made that mistake. Build my credit card for the full job, even though he did not finish. He didn't even do half of it. So he ripped us off, like committed credit card fraud. I know this is like the virtual flipping horror stories, right? So at this point, you know, I am literally on the other side of the country. We finally said, okay, I have to hire somebody full time to manage the subs. Like if we're going to sub oh, everything yeah. out, then I need to manage. I need to carve out a budget and hire someone full time to manage these subs. And now, well, if I'm going to hire this person, then I better have other projects. Like I better keep yeah. this person busy. Right. So now like trying to buy other projects to keep the person busy. Yeah. And it's like seamlessly once we had the right person boots on ground come, 
we found the right subs. Like everything started coming together, but we had to go to a really low place first. Yeah. Like for it to then start coming together. And now it's right on schedule. Like we now are, right. now we it's are doing really, really well. Everything's humming. And then we ended up finding an actual contractor that does. He started out as a framing subcontractor, but then he was like, oh, no, no, no. I do other stuff. Like I can. They do always say that. Like, <laughs> I know they always say that, but he's so far like in Drew's on him like crazy. Yeah. So, so far he's like performing and it's fine, you know, like, so we're like, okay, I think we might be in a good place. And I'm hearing this is a very common thing. Like contractors are so hard to come by right now that a lot of people are subbing out their own jobs and running their own rehabs. Like they are a general contractor, like owner builder. Are you hearing the same? Yeah, I kind of do that. I mean, I sort of do that. I mean, in New York, we have a pretty good system. San Diego, I do minute like basic rehabs. Like I just did one for 15K. It was a small condo. I had two contractors do the job, like nothing crazy, you know, three if you count the stager. But I mean, in like Delaware, for example, like you got to hear some of these conversations with contractors. I'm very, very direct with people and I'm not an ass. I can maybe sound like an ass. I just get the point across to them. And I'm like, listen, dude, if you work well and do what you say you're going to do, I'm going to be your favorite customer. I'm going to pay you right away. And But here's the big thing with contractors. I, I've, I've actually made a bunch of videos that are going to be released soon on this, but it's like, I will not pay a contractor until he justifies why I should pay him. And I get that in writing and I'm so upfront with them. And I'm like, listen, yeah. the second my guy sees this and the work is done, you will get paid immediately. But I am not giving you 50%. I'm not even giving you 20%. I'm giving you a little teaspoon of payment. And when you show me you're doing what you say you're going to do, I will pay you instantly. And a lot of the contractors that I hire, they see that and then it gives them a good feedback loop and then right. they got to pay their guys. So then yeah. we generally get it done. But I'm very weary of people. I say this in this video I made. It's like, set the bar here. Set your expectations here. So when their performance is here, you're not disappointed. But a lot of new investors, if they're flipping, especially remotely, they have these lofty no. ambitions of a contractor. And then they come in down here and then they're pissed off. It's like, I already anticipate that they might suck. So if they do suck, I'm not disappointed. That's exactly what I expected. So it's all about, I've just gotten burned so many times. I've had crazy projects. I've had, I mean, that's like, oh my gosh. It's just, you really got it going with your eyes open. And I would advise if you're brand freaking new, partner with someone who knows what they're doing yes. and really learn from them. And if you got to give up half the equity, you got to give up half the equity. That value you're going to get is going to be a thousand times more valuable than, you know, keeping 100% of the deal getting banged by a contractor, just getting nailed. By oh, yeah. 1000%. You know, I have a coaching program, a virtual investing mastery, and I talk a lot about JV partners. And most of the people that come to me, they aspire to wholesale, you know, we're wholesaling. So like yeah. most of the student base, yeah. they want to wholesale. They don't realize that I actually flip houses as well. And yeah. I'm actually like going to start filming like a 2.0 version to really drill in, you know, house flipping and buying rentals and whatnot virtually and how you do it. And literally it's like cardinal rule. You have to partner at first because of going through my horror story, your horror oh, story. Yeah. And I, Many. you know, I've been in this for 10 years. Like I can kind of absorb this crappy experience. I dealt with like yeah. you can kind of absorb it but someone who's never flipped a house cannot absorb it and they will never want to go back to this industry again they will yeah. never want to do it again but if you just had a partner you know like my end buyers that have been doing it for a long time a lot of them have their own guys their own crew and so oh, yeah. that's how they're able to fulfill these flips right now with the construction kind of situation being the way it is right now. So like, you know, you need a partner with someone that you hear like, oh, they have their own crew. Like that's your partner. That's the person you're going to want to partner with. Yeah. Sure. And it's just going to make so, yeah, it's your life so much easier. I mean, 
in my main area, like I almost look at contractors as like a bench in baseball. Like I put the first guy out in the field or girl got to be, you know, correct here. Yeah. And when they missed the pop fly, when there was no sun and they had their glasses on and they dropped the ball on the field, they get thrown out. Yeah. The next person comes in, they drop the ball, they come out. Yeah. And then eventually, you know, even a blind squirrel finds it. Not, I get someone in there to do the job. But I put them out in the outfield when they drop the ball, we pull them out. And so you always want to load your bench. I have a data set in my systems and it's just like got a list of contractors and who they are, their names, emails, et cetera. And then, you know, I always get a couple bids. I let them show me that they can't do the job. And then when they show me they can't do the job, I just move to the next one. But if they prove me wrong and they do the job, I'm happy and we continue to do business together, you know? Yeah. I mean, especially when you're virtual, because when you are virtual, The contractors, they know when the cat's away, the mice will play. And (laughs) I had one. It's 100%. They know. And they figure it out. Just accept (laughs) that is that's the way it is, guys. Like, I don't care if your contractor goes to church and is a good guy. I'll tell you what. I had a contractor that's known in the community and, you know, known for volunteer work. And I was a noob. I was a noob. And I gave him $13,000 as a deposit to buy some material. I will never do that again. He took my money and he robbed Peter to pay Paul. He paid a debt on a previous job he had. He did not buy any material. He did not do my job, ran off with my money. And then I found out this guy had a trail of people he'd been robbing Peter to pay Paul. So I was like the last Peter, I think. I was like the last Peter that gave money that other people got paid. Paul's got paid. I did it. Bankruptcy Um, court. (laughs) And I decided to sue him because I, at the time, it felt like he's not going to stop. He's going to just keep taking jobs and he's going to keep going. So like, at least, you know, maybe I'll do like the universe, a solid, anyone else that might encounter this man. It might maybe put him at a stop. I don't know, but it might. So it turns out he had several judgments on him already. So like, I don't know if he's totally broke out of the contracting business, but you know, I sued him. The lawsuit went nowhere because they never do, by the way, guys, like, with your contractors, they never go anywhere. Like they just fall for bankruptcy. It's a big waste of money. You have to know when you're suing the person that it's not going to go anywhere, which is what I put in my head. It's not going to go anywhere, but it might stop him from harming more people. And yeah, like I had people call me like, Hey, I heard, you know, he screwed you too. And thank you for suing him. We didn't do it, but like, thank you, you know, like maybe you're putting a stop to his behavior, but this is a very common and prevalent thing, you know, with contractors and you have to have your system so tight. Like I know a lot of high volume, flippers that do crazy you know amount of homes like they have a dedicated project manager so like i'm drew now like thankfully my boyfriend he's so smart and so good at that like this side of i mean he builds like 50 unit apartments this is nothing for him like dropping that bucket this is nothing like residential rehabs are nothing he worked like in new house developments and stuff in his past like this is nothing for him but every single thing is like line itemed his own budget like how much everything should cost and then he compares it to what they say and then he writes like contracts and puts the exact dates like framing should be done from this date to this date and then every single trade is like date with dates of when they should be done on the schedule if they're not done like he's on them and then he will fire them if they're even a week late like oh yeah he's like 
you're done. You're fired. Like I would oh, never, God. I couldn't do that. Like I wouldn't even know how to do that. But like today, for example, we had the framer said he was pretty much done and we were going to pay $8,000 for the framing of the home because we had to read, totally redo the home. We emptied it out and rebuilt walls. And like we had our boots on ground, go take video. Drew looked at it. Drew's in California. So Drew looked at the video and said, that's not all the way done. That's not 90%. And so Drew said, I'm going to pay you $5,400 and you're going to finish the rest. So like you gotta that's that. the level of detail. That's the level of detail you need to not get screwed right now, house flipping, which is pretty crazy. You got to get eyeballs on it. it. I'll give everyone a quick tip too with contractors. Like you don't want to hire the big GC firms unless you're doing big development deals. It's not going to make sense. I like to hire, I call it Chuck in a truck. The downside to that, you know, it's kind of a funny name, right? And it doesn't have to be Chuck and he doesn't need a pickup truck. He doesn't need a pickup truck. I you have to. Chuck in a truck. Here's the deal with Chuck in a truck. I'll give you the skinny on Chuck in a truck. He doesn't yeah. need to drive a pickup truck. Here's where the red flags go. If Chuck, you know, fake Chuck, if he's not driving a pickup truck, but he's maybe driving like a Subaru hatchback and he's got the tools in the back, we're good. If Chuck shows up to the job in a sedan car, though, he's going to rip me off. I know he's going to rip me off. So I need him in a pickup truck and I need him maybe in a hatchback. But those people are the ones you have to sift through. But you'll find a good Chuck eventually. And when he shows up in his truck and he's got a good crew of subs that work with him, usually laborers, you're going to be good. But you got to look for those Chuck in the trucks because the big, big, big contracting companies, you just can't make those numbers make any sense because they have overhead. They have real businesses. I get it. But you can't be flipping single family homes with big, large GCs unless you're, you know, either getting a crazy price, which is rare, or you're, you got to go with the small guys. That's my point. Yeah. Yeah. So it's funny that you say that because literally me and my boyfriend make little nicknames for everybody. So like the first demo guy that ended up stealing my credit card, we called him Demo Dave. Demo Dave, (laughs) yeah. We have Demo Dave, like we have all these little names. So Chuck in a truck is so funny. I love that. I'm using that. I'm so excited to use that. That's hilarious. Yeah. You know what's crazy? I'll be honest. Five years ago, it wasn't like this. Six years ago, seven years, it was not like this. You could actually find a GC that you could trust and you could just hand over the keys and they would really, they were motivated to keep your business and do a good job. And I had the easiest time flipping houses back then, even virtually. I built houses back then virtually and it was way easier. I think because of demand for housing and there's just so much demand right now for these contractors and they're just so busy. They don't have to be loyal and they don't have to like do the right thing, they can kind of get away with screwing people. And this is like a perfect segue to like, let's talk about what's going on in the market. So there's so much chatter. I mean, I literally think I hear like the market is softening. We're shifting every single day, five times a day right now. Yeah. What's going on? What's your opinion on like what's happening right now with our real estate market? And what are you doing to adjust in your business? Great question. So I was not around in 07, 08. I was in middle school. So like, I can't say I've been through the downturn because I haven't. However, what I will say is that right now I'm seeing that at least in, you know, my median prices are expensive, but in general, it's almost like I'll use an analogy. Two people back when interest rates were two, 3%, they could go to Ruth Chris Steakhouse. They could get a heck of a steak and it wouldn't cost them that much money because the money they're borrowing to pay for the steak isn't that much. But now they still need to go to dinner, right? But because their money costs a lot more, five, six, maybe 7% soon, they're still going to eat, but they're going to have to go to Outback, 
Okay. So what that means really is that and I learned that from my friend. I didn't make that up. I'm not, I'm not smart <laughs> enough to make analogies like that on my own, but they're still going to be getting steak, but they're not going to be getting the quality steak. So what I'm trying to say is a house in San Diego, for example, that would trade at 850 when interest rates were two or three points is now going to trade at 800, right? It's going to trade at maybe 825 if you're lucky, right? So I'm just taking the ARVs that were two, 3% ARVs on the MLS and I'm taking off 10%, right? So we're okay. still buying deals. And in the stuff that's cheaper, in my opinion, it's not going to do much. You may have a higher days on market, which means your home might sit for longer, which will ultimately make less money because you got carrying costs. But the median house price, there's still going to be people who need to buy houses. There are going to be people who need to sell houses. So the median stuff, I don't think will get beat up that bad. Stuff above the median, I believe will drop maybe 10 or 15%. I don't think there's mm -hmm. going to be a big blowout like in 2007 because that was just backed upon bad mortgages where people didn't have the money to buy them. People have money now to pay for these mortgages. Underwriting is still difficult. Like to get a loan, you ask me how I know. It's a pain in the neck to get a loan. That's ridiculous. But it's good because that means qualified borrowers get the money. So that's the first thing. The second thing I'm seeing on the wholesale side is that because of all the people talking about it, I'm seeing my buyers are just a little more conservative. I mean, we used to have these crazy like, you know, carousels, 40, 50 buyers, highest and best, you know, blah, 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 blah. And that still works a little bit. But I'm seeing now we want to move product at good prices. But we understand as wholesalers now that a lot of the buyers who were unicorns who were buying a deal and thinking they're going to sell for 500, they sell for 575 and now I'm a genius for wholesaling them the house. They're not really thinking that anymore. So they're really being a little bit more conservative with their numbers. So we're trying to back our numbers up to maybe buy it a little bit cheaper to ultimately still sell it for a reasonable profit. But I'm relying on buyers now who I've sold product to, who I know are going to close, who are still involved. And I may take a little bit less right now to make sure the deal gets done because, you know, we don't want to be greedy. We want to be realistic. That's kind of what we're doing in our company to make sure we're pivoting with that market. You know? Yeah, I mean, I literally agree with you 100%. I don't even need to share my thoughts because like you literally just blab them all. I thought about um, this for a while. <laughs> I've been thinking that, no, and we are in the similar market or whatever. I live yeah. in OC, you live in San Diego. Yeah. So I'm seeing the exact same thing. I think the markets just in general nationwide where the affordability is like just way low, like compared to a nationwide affordability rate. I think our nationwide affordability last I had kind of done the research a few months ago was 55% on average. OC, the last time I checked, I think it got down to 13% or 12, just wow. like the last report was 12%. That means that 12% of the average income earner can buy the average house. So you like, think about it of your friends, like look at all 10 of your friends that are average income earners. Okay. Only 12% can actually buy that home. Like that doesn't make sense. Like who else yeah. is buying these homes? You know, driving all the yeah. prices up, you know, yeah. that's just not a normal supply and demand situation, you know, like they can't keep going on. It's not sustainable. So I totally agree. I think that California, like our markets are going to have to adjust. Yeah. I had a neighbor, perfect example, my neighbor, two neighbors, they're right next to each other and one's next to me. Right. So one was a grandma's house that was not remodeled. And before interest rates, before the first adjustment, they bought this home. Super nice, cool, young couple bought it for 1.5 million. It might have been 1.55. The house next door, it's the same layout, but it's rehabbed top to bottom all the way and interest rates adjusted. And then they decided to list their house and they listed it for 1.6. So they added 100K for the yeah. fact that the house was remodeled, whatever. Yeah. 
but it's a different price point now. That house now is more expensive. That mortgage just went up several thousand yeah. dollars, you know, yeah. a month. And that's a different, now that's a different person. That's a different avatar that you're going after as a seller. And those sellers are not like, they don't want that home. Like they're having a hard time. They wanted the $2.5 million home, exactly. you know? So that house has been sitting on the market. They've now officially dropped it to the same price as the non-remodeled home. The dated the grandma same price. Dated grandma special that sold only three, four months ago or whatever. I think it was maybe four or five months ago. Now, just in the last week, I noticed that a new avatar of people are looking at this home. By avatar, guys, it's a marketing term, meaning like the type of person, like maybe income level I'm kind of referring yeah. to. All of a sudden, really flashy cars start pulling up to this house. You know, stuff that you just, in our neighborhood, you're like, it's a nice neighborhood. I know 1.5 sounds like a really expensive neighborhood, but for SoCal, it's not your very flashy people. It's kind of your, yeah, we did well, or my parents did well and bought us this beach house. And like, <laughs> but like, we still drive like normal cars, like maybe the nicest car is a Volvo, like, or something, you know? And it's like, no, now it's like a Maserati pulls up and you're like, yeah. but you can see their disappointment. Like they're like, oh, this is not the house I wanted. I wanted, you know, the $2.5 million beach house, but now I can't afford that. You can't afford it because rates. of interest rate. So yep. it seems like there's this buyer and seller stalemate. So I do agree with you. I think our market, like the high-priced, oversaturated, high-priced markets, overinflated markets are going to see a bigger correction. So then I started thinking, Okay, so, you know, I started asking everybody this question, Greg, you know, I've got all these friends in the business and I started asking these questions. I was asking my buyers. Some of these buyers are, you know, they work for hedge funds and I heard different opinions and you can tell it's a lot of it is some of its gut feelings, opinions, you know, gut feelings. It's not based on data. Yeah. It's just, if it was me, I wouldn't buy anything because you know, it could correct 20% and now you've just lost all this money. So I started thinking, I go, well, okay, why don't we, instead of use our gut feelings, why don't we look at actual data of the past to see what was the worst correction in two quarters? Because a flipper, you're typically going to own it for two quarters, maybe three at most. Yeah. So yep. let's, let's see what happened in history. So can't take all the credit. My dad is big into statistics and the economy and stuff. And he told me exactly where to go to find this data that I'm looking for. And it was the National Home Price Index. It's a government. You can get it from a government website. I don't have it off the top of my head. But essentially, you can download every major you know, metro in the country. It gives you a house price index and it shows you the increase or decrease. And you can then do a formula next to it to see the percentage. So I just created a formula next to it in Excel. And I just looked at the percentage increase increase or decrease all the way dated back from 1975. And I said, okay, what is the most it ever decreased since the 1970s? And if you guys know much about history, there was a time where inflation was out of control and the government had to raise interest rates significantly, like even worse than what they've done so far. And yeah. that happened around 75, 80, you know, so I was looking to see like, how did that affect our housing market? I also looked back at the just most recent, you know, 2006 crash from 2006 to 2012, like what percentage? And then I compared other markets because the decrease just in OC is not the same as Oklahoma City, is not the same yeah. as... Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. It's not, you know, so you have to look at the data in your market and see what happened in history. And 
from what I saw, Orange County has had a couple times in history where prices maybe went down like 10%, 12%. I don't have the spreadsheet in front of me, but like the most it ever like really went down in one quarter was like 12%. And the worst at one quarter, it went down 19%. It was in 1982 and it was like Black Tuesday where the stock market crashed. It was like a one outlier weird event. But then the next quarter, it went up, it went up 13%. So it was just, a, was like, it was a weird outlier, a very weird outlier. Like it was a very weird, strange quarter, but that was about it. You know, the rest is really moderate. Like even in the worst times, it was like in two quarters, maybe 6%, maybe eight at like the most. And that was just Orange County. That was a market that had a lot of issues. Yeah. So if yeah. you think about it, other areas were like that. Other areas, the most was like a 1% per month or 1% even per quarter. So like your opinion of 10% is exactly what I'm doing. So I'm making sure that I have at least a 10% market correction in my ARV. I'm also yep. not taking the highest ARV. If there's an outlier ARV that is like very much an outlier, you know when you get it like and it's like, okay, there's three sales that are 320s range and then there's one that's 360. Yeah, I'm you're like, that doesn't make any sense. That would have worked when interest rates were 2% though because you would have gotten that all day long. All day long. Now I'm going, you know what? That's the one outlier and I have to ignore that and go with what the majority was. And then I'm just making sure that I've got at least like a 10% set buffer. And then aside from that, I still want to be a little profitable. So I actually put a 15% cash on cash return. So that way, like if it drops 10%, I still got like 5% in the green. That's what I'm doing to adjust. I imagine that our competition is some of them, a good percentage is just going to use their gut feelings and pull back. And I don't want to try to time the market. Like you really can't time the market. Like worst case is, yeah, we buy some that end up maybe like losing some money. But if we use this methodology and we watch it closely, we have good deals behind it. You know, like we'd probably a month prior. You're buying at a discount from day one. You're buying the home at a discount, which is the key there. If you're buying at 35, 30% of the market value and the market adjusts 10 points, you're still at a 20, 25% discount. So you really like worst case scenario would probably break even. Worst case, you might break even five grand. Yeah. You know, and even if you lose a little bit, you worst case, you lose a little bit, but like you've got other deals. Like, I'm not going to stop buying, is what I'm saying. I'm not going to stop buying. So, like, maybe I'll have a bad month. Like, maybe I'll have a bad month, but there's like, we're still going to keep buying. And if it keeps getting bad, I'll adjust my buy criteria at that time. So, that's personally my plan is, and I'm just excited. It's nice to get some validation that you have the same plan. So, it's awesome. Yeah. And you're a smart I mean, I just guy, try to use so. common sense. It's like, let's really look at this and take a C. And it's like, well, if it does drop 10 points, it drops 10 points. But like, went up 10 points a year for the last three years. You know, in some areas, like I did yeah. put projects where I sold them and made big money and they went up 100 grand in value after the fact. And I'm like, whoa, crazy, you know? Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. I oh held that as a rental for a year. I know. Well, you know, Greg, thank you so much. You know, just give us your insights. This was a really, really good episode. Greg, if anybody wants to find you on social media, where can they go to find you? Yeah, my pleasure. I love doing these podcasts. It's better being the guest than the host. Just don't tell anyone about that. I don't know if my Uh team would be too happy about that. But Instagram is grego, G-R-E-G-O underscore 37. I put out a lot of content. We post daily. We got stories and videos and reels and you name it. It's on there. Grego 37. That's the best way to, to get in touch with me and follow me online. 
Awesome. Thank you so much, Greg. And guys, if you are looking to invest virtually, make sure you check out www.virtualinvestingmastery.com where I teach you how to do just that. And thank you guys so much for listening today. We will see you next time. That's all for this episode. Your next step to success is to continue the conversation over at wholesalinginc.com by joining the mailing list as well as get your chance to book a strategy session to learn the systems and become part of the tribe and work personally with one of our amazing coaches. We'll see you next episode with more ways to make you a fortune in wholesaling.